In a Stuff exclusive, the mother of baby Rue, the toddler who died late last year in Wellington, has spoken on the record and says she did not kill her son. For that and everything else we're talking about, find and follow Newsable wherever you listen to podcasts. Stuff Podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Wright and welcome to The Long Read from Stuff. This week's episode is called Out of the Darkness. It's by Stuff podcast director Adam Dudding, who joins me now. Hi, Adam. Hi, Michael. So give us the elevator pitch, Out of the Darkness. What's it about? Uh, well, recently, end of August, Jason Dorday, visual journalist with Stuff, and I went to Fiji, went to Suva, with the Fred Hollows Foundation in New Zealand. Uh, and basically they showed us around. Um, and what they do is they perform cataract operations, or they rather they run and fund and um, supply training for a uh, clinic called the Pacific Eye Institute in Suva, uh, which pretty much does a whole pile of cataract operations for people who uh, would have trouble accessing it because Fiji's not super rich and they don't have a lot of um, free health provision. So a few Kiwis, a few listeners will know that name, Fred Hollows, and the work that he's done. Interesting part about this story, though, is the, the landscape has changed somewhat. They're still doing the same work, but it's, it's newly complicated. Just without getting all the way into it, just tell us a bit about that, what you found. Yeah, essentially, cataract operations are these sort of extraordinary uh, transformative operations, don't take terribly long. Uh, there are some extremely cheap ways of doing it, and that's what um, Fred Hollows, one of his signature moves was to make that possible in various ways. And th- it's great. It, there's avoidable blindness. You do this this cheap, fast, efficient operation, and somebody who could barely see can see really well. But in the background, over the last one, two, three, four decades, we've had the rise of diabetes. And that is changing the game because uh, diabetes can lead to eye damage and it's irreversible. So you can fix the cataract, but sometimes there's also damage caused by diabetes and that's a much more complicated picture. Before we get into the story, a quick bit of housekeeping here. You saw four people get this operation. You're a braver man than me. And we only hear their first names or learn their first names, don't we? That's right. Actually, just to be precise, I watched one operation in close detail I did a, did a, I don't write about it in the piece, but I also did a sort of a, a walkthrough of another operating room where another couple of surgeries were being done simultaneously. So I suppose I saw one and two quarters of an operation. But in terms of people's journeys, I traced these four people. And indeed, we, we use just their first names. Um, we wouldn't always do that, but it's we're really just following the protocols of the Fred Hollows Foundation itself, which when it's putting together its literature and promotional material, they always leave people's second name out, basically preserving their privacy. So that's why everyone's lost their last name. All right, thanks, Adam. Now, here is Adam, reading his story, Out of the Darkness. Robinson is a pastor. He'd like to be able to read his Bible again. Plus, he's itching to get back in the driver's seat of his car, rather than relying on his wife. Salandry used to be a machinist, making golf shirts for the Australian market. She wants to sew again, but more urgently, she wants to be able to go outside without needing her husband walking in front, calling out warnings. A step just here, no step there. Carmela also used to work as a machinist, sewing uniforms and judicial robes. 
she just wants to be able to see the faces of her grandchildren. And Tavita, a homeless 40-year-old with a criminal record and a broken nose, a scar above his left eyebrow and another on his leg, Tavita would like to be able to better recognise people. Right now, he can only make out if someone's a friend or not once they're standing right up close. There were others waiting for eye surgeries at the Pacific Eye Institute in the Fijian capital Suva, each with their particular dreams of regaining things lost. But Robinson, Salandri, Kamala and Tavita were the four that stuffed tailed for three days in late August during a visit arranged by the Fred Hollows Foundation New Zealand. The institute was established by the foundation in 2006 and is now a care and training hub for the entire Pacific region. Three days is the perfect time frame for telling a story that's no less uplifting for being utterly predictable. In fact, the predictability of the Pacific Eye Institute's cataract surgeries is the whole point. The foundation builds its fundraising on the appealing notion that for as little as $25, a New Zealander can pay for someone, somewhere, in a poorer country where health services are more threadbare, to have their sight restored overnight by replacing a cloudy, cataracted lens with a synthetic intraocular lens. They're blind on day one, under the knife on day two, and triumphantly reading an eye chart on day three. There's even a big reveal when the bandage comes off. These days, that iconic claim of $25 to restore sight counts only the material costs of the operation, not the staffing, equipment and training that the foundation also supports. Yet, the symbolism remains the same. In a wealthy country like New Zealand, pretty much anyone can afford to make a small donation that's literally life-changing. There's also the remarkable backstory of Fred Hollows himself, the Dunedin-born doctor with strong communist convictions who settled in Australia, campaigned for better eye health for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, set up programs to train local staff in Vietnam, Eritrea and Nepal, then hatched a cunning plan to build factories in Eritrea and Nepal and churn out extremely cheap intraocular lenses to make the cataract surgeries more accessible worldwide. Hollows died before the factories began production, but they've since produced intraocular lenses that have restored the sight of millions. And since Hollow's death, two linked foundations have continued his mission of ending avoidable blindness. The Australia-based Fred Hollows Foundation operates worldwide, while the smaller New Zealand Foundation operates just in the Pacific. Yet, with each passing decade, the Foundation's simple message for donors is becoming blurrier. There's a tectonic shift taking place in the causes of blindness around the world, and that's making things much more complicated. Tavita's life is already complicated enough. The journey towards his long overdue cataract operation began a few months ago when someone smashed his nose with a piece of wood. Tavita's tough, but this was a bad knock. I can't even smell anything, he says. Tavita took his injured nose to Suva's Colonial War Memorial Hospital for an X-ray, which confirmed it was broken. Seeing he was already in the hospital, he mentioned that his eyes had been getting blurry something he'd been ignoring for a good seven years. I thought my eyes would be coming good again, he says, but no. The team at the Pacific Eye Institute, which is affiliated with the main CWM hospital, offered to help. Tavita is telling his story while sitting cross-legged in an empty lot in the inner city service suburb of Turak. He doesn't own a phone, 
and locating him has proved tricky. But after a few circuits around the block and chats with passers-by, Pacific Eye Institute driver and translator Arjun Marcus has finally found our man. For someone in need of eye surgery, Tavita had seemed surprisingly sure-footed as he showed us around the shop front where he sleeps and the spot where he stores his cardboard bedding. But then I realised that's only because he's so familiar with these streets. Occasionally, he'd pause mid-step, his foot hovering just off the ground as he figured out the topography of the uneven footpath by feel alone. His vision has been assessed at around 3-60, meaning at 3 metres, he can discern what someone with average sight would see from 60 metres. Tavita says he's been on the street since he was 12, following the death of his father. He's made ends meet by collecting coke bottles and working as a shoeshine guy. He dabbled in burglary and robbery and has served time in prison, but says he's stayed out of trouble since last leaving jail in 2014. For a time, he cleaned roads for an engineering company, but lost that job because he refused the COVID-19 vaccine. I'm a healthy guy, he says. It's true, I'm living on the street, but I eat vegetables a lot. His favourite vegetable is taro leaves, raw raw. He also does occasional yard work, but his increasingly blurry vision has made it hazardous. Once, I was doing the gardening and I cut the grass, he says. He swings his arm to demonstrate. And cut my leg too. There's a long, lumpy scar on his calf. There have been other injuries, like the scar above his eyebrow where he was attacked by five people who said he'd stolen the girlfriend of one of them. He denies this. When he used to doss in Thurston Gardens, the city's colonial-era botanical gardens, the cops would kick him while he slept. There'd be fights with other homeless guys. Sometimes I'm a fighter, Tavita says. Come to think of it, that is how my eyes have become like this. Because I never dodge any punches. I just go for it. Go straight for it. This self-diagnosis is actually probably spot on. A cataract, where the clear lens that focuses light into the eye becomes progressively cloudy, usually arrives in middle age or later. The condition is sometimes described as the grey hair of the eye, in that if you live long enough, you're almost guaranteed to get it. But Tavita's sight has been worsening since his early 30s, a very early onset. And indeed, it turns out that trauma to the eye can cause cataracts to arrive prematurely. Tavita might have been better off dodging those punches after all. That first conversation with Tavita is on the Tuesday. Let's call it day one. The same day, our little posse, driver Arjun from the Pacific Eye Institute, staff visual journalist Jason Dorday and me, and Joe Dowling and Katie Moore from the Fred Hollows Foundation NZ, visit three other patients, all in Suva's outer suburbs. It's warm midwinter. Stray dogs with curiously short legs gaze at Arjun's big white ute as we rattle past. Rain showers whip through without warning, but then the sun comes out and the puddles are dry again in minutes. Nature is steadily repainting every building and wall in a grey-green collage of moss and mould. The stories of Robinson, Solandri and Kamala vary in every detail, but the gist is always the same. There's a lot riding on tomorrow's operation. Robinson, the pastor, is 58. He realised he was losing his sight a couple of years ago while watching a game of soccer. Early on, the left eye went blurry, but then the right. 
and now he can barely identify people until they're right up in his face, which is pretty awkward when you've got a congregation of 70 people. Sometimes people are waving at me, and I cannot see they are waving, he says. They must be thinking, why is the pastor not smiling? Salandri, the retired machinist, is 63. She speaks Hindi and little English, so Ajahn translates for us. She has two sons and a daughter who lives in Christchurch. Her sight has become so bad she's reluctant to leave the house, partly because she worries about stumbling without her husband's help, but also because her cataracts make the bright light unbearable. Everything is too shiny, she says. Carmela, 52, has found her blindness especially punishing. She's a widow with four children aged 30 down to 19 and suffers from diabetes. In 2019, poor sight forced her to quit her sewing job. She was offered cataract surgery right away, but then COVID-19 ground things to a halt. The Foundation's Fiji General Manager, Kurti Prasad, says COVID-related delays have been a nightmare. Hospitals moved to an emergency footing, so the PEI has almost two years worth of extra surgeries to catch up on. Yet the global health crisis that really worries Prasad now is something else, diabetes. Unmanaged diabetes can eventually cause blindness by damaging blood vessels in the retina. And although timely treatment can arrest this damage, it can't reverse the harm already done. Diabetes rates are soaring worldwide, especially type 2 diabetes, and the rise is especially extreme in the Pacific. In Fiji, the International Diabetes Foundation estimates that by 2021, 19% of the population had diabetes, almost double the 2011 figure. Prasad says the best part of her job is seeing how we give back not just eyesight but dignity. But the worst is when someone comes in and they've had untreated diabetes so long that their eyes are irreversibly damaged. With cataracts, we can give back sight, Prasad says. But with diabetic retinopathy, we're just trying to preserve the vision that they have right now. Today on Newsable, in a Stuff exclusive, the mother of baby Rue, the toddler who died late last year in Wellington, has spoken on the record and says she did not kill her son. Plus, step aside, working from home. Working from holiday seems to be the new trend, and I have an update on the USA's Cicada Geddon. For everything that's worth talking about, find and follow Newsable wherever you get your podcasts. Wednesday, Operation Day. Tavita, Robinson, Salandri and Kamala are all booked with the same surgeon, Dr Subash Bata. There are pre-operative hoops to jump, a rat test at the main door for COVID, biometric measurements to ensure the new intraocular lens will match the focusing power of the lens it's replacing, blood pressure and blood sugar tests, and then you wait. All morning, patients sit with zen-like calm on wooden benches outside the operating rooms. A nurse doles out eye drops to keep irises dilated. Everyone has a patch of white tape on one cheek or the other to signify which side is going under the knife. Even if you're blind in both eyes, only one is operated on at a time. Eventually, it's Tavita's turn. It's local anaesthetic only, so he walks into the operating room and climbs onto the table himself. 
Tevita's operation won't actually be the manual small incision cataract surgery or M6 of $25 a pop fame. That surgery is still commonplace at the Pacific Eye Institute, but the Institute has recently acquired specialised phacoemulsification machinery, which enables a more sophisticated version of the same operation. Dr. Subhash Bhatta came to the Institute from his native Nepal last year in part so he could train up local surgeons in these more advanced FACO techniques. The FACO version of cataract surgery is pricier. Consumables alone cost $600 per operation, but it results in smaller incisions, faster healing, and better results for complex cases like Tevita's with his history of eye injuries. It's just before 1 p.m. when, with the help of three nurses, Butter begins. The view through his binocular microscope is relayed in close-up to a large monitor over his head, and frankly, it all looks a bit medieval. No matter how modern the techniques, there's no getting around the fact that eye surgery still involves taking to someone's eyeball with very sharp objects. First, Tevita's face is shrouded in cloth, leaving just his right eye exposed. Eyelids are clamped open, the eyeball is sluiced clean, anaesthetic is injected. Next, Barter's scalpel stabs a tiny edgewise incision in the cornea. If you imagine the eye as an egg frying in a pan, it would be like nicking the yolk just where it meets the white. Barter withdraws the scalpel and injects a thick gel into the eye, which will prevent the eyeball collapsing during what follows. From here it goes so fast I have trouble following, but Barter talks me through it all later, and here's what's going on. He makes another incision opposite the first, then uses tiny tweezers to reach in and detach the cloudy lens from its capsule, the transparent bag that's been its home for the past 40 years. This wince-making process reminds me a bit of tearing a raw oyster from its shell. Once the lens is moving freely inside the capsule, it's ready to come out. But that's tricky because its diameter is many, many times larger than Barter's 2.8mm incisions. That's where the phaco emulsification comes in. Barter reinserts tweezers from one side and a phaco emulsification probe from the other. The probe has three parts, an ultrasonic needle to slice up the lens, an aspiration tube to suck out the pieces, and an irrigation tube to squirt fresh fluid in at the same time to keep the internal pressure constant. The probe connects to a huge, noisy, ground-mounted machine that Barter controls via a foot pedal. It's gory and surprisingly physical. At one point, Barter appears to be playing tug-of-war with a particularly unyielding chunk of lens, but eventually, all the fragments have been sucked away, more gel is injected, and it's time for the replacement lens. Unlike the cheaper, rigid lens of the M6 operation, this lens comes filled up like a miniature newspaper, and it's basically posted in via the incision before unfurling back to a regular lens shape once inside. Barter jiggles it into place, vacuums the gel back out, injects another fluid, then in a final flourish, injects a tiny amount of water around the edges of the corneal incisions. This puffs the cornea up, sealing the wounds without stitches. After that, it's housework. More sluicing, a squirt of antibiotic ointment, eyelids unclamped, cloth off face, a protective bandage over the now closed eye, and Bob's your uncle. It's been a wild ride, but when I check the time, 
It's taken less than 20 minutes. Later, the nurse hands Tavita a piece of paper with tomorrow's appointment time, plus a couple of painkillers and a bottle of water. You're meant to have brought a support person, but Tavita came alone. I ask him where he'll sleep tonight and whether he needs help getting there. He says he'll sleep on the street as usual and he'll be fine, thanks. I'm quite sure about that, he says. Thursday morning, day three. Robinson, Salandri and Kamala are back at the PEI early, waiting for the big reveal of the eye bandage removal. Tavita is there too, but he won't need a nurse to remove his bandage. It's already gone. What happened? I was sleeping, he says. I think it's about four o'clock in the morning, and it came to mind that there is something lost from my body. When I woke up, my bandage is gone. Tavita has no idea why a stranger would decide to peel the bandage off the eye of a homeless man sleeping in the street at 4am, but these things happen. The important bit is that with the bandage off, he realised straight away that the sight in his right eye was really good. The eye chart agrees. Tavita's right eye now rates 615. That's eight times better than before the operation. When Barta inspects Tavita's eye, he says it's looking good, and his sight will keep improving over the coming days. He gives him eye drops, tells him to avoid getting the eye wet for a couple of weeks, and, with heavy emphasis, advises him to avoid any fresh trauma to the eye. When Salandri's bandage comes off, she sits looking stunned for a few minutes, then reads all the way to the second to bottom line of the eye chart, giving her a score of 6, 7.5. Yesterday, she couldn't see the ground as she walked. Today, her sight is better than mine. I'm standing behind her as she reads and give up a line earlier than her. She looks at photographer Jason as he hops about the room for the best angles and exclaims, I can see your sneakers. For Robinson and Kamala, the results are mixed, and the reason for that is the very thing that gives Pacific Eye Institute manager Kurti Prasad her worst days. They both have diabetes. Sure, when Robinson's bandage comes off, he can immediately see better than before, but it's not quite the spectacular transformation that DeVita and Salandri experience. He makes it only to the second line of the eye chart. Kamala's unbandaging, is even more disheartening. She can't even read the top line. And the nurse switches to a simpler assessment, asking her to count raised fingers. It's only when the fingers are a metre away that Kamala can reliably make them out. Barter explains that in both cases, diabetes has called macular edema, swelling in the retina, resulting in additional blurriness that's nothing to do with cataracts. The swelling is somewhat treatable with injections, and both patients' sight should improve further. But if they don't keep extremely tight control of their blood sugars, there's a constant risk of more and irreversible retinal damage. Bluntly, Robinson and Kamala are case studies of the way in which the simple message sold by the Fred Hollows Foundation is no longer as simple as it once was. Joe Dowling, who's director of fundraising, says diabetes will affect every facet of the Foundation's mission in the coming decades. The Foundation has been almost the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff, she says. But because cataracts are so fixable, it's been an extraordinarily effective ambulance. 
add diabetes to that equation though, and there's only so much the ambulance can do. It's something we talk about often, Dowling says, and it's too big for us on our own. It's a massive, massive problem. But we always think back, what would Fred do? And Fred would not stand by and do nothing. Since 2011, there's been a diabetic clinic within the Pacific Eye Institute, and Dowling suspects the foundation may also need to redirect some of its energies towards partnering with education projects around diet and exercise. Fundraising strategies may need to change also. The New Zealand public are not particularly sympathetic towards people with diabetes, she says. Appeals for diabetes aren't as successful as appeals for cataract surgery. That said, the demand for those surgeries is never going to go away. After all, they're the grey hair of the eyes. And the benefits are still huge. Diabetes or no diabetes. After Robinson's eye test, his wife Irene is waiting at the door. He notices me noticing her. He says, it's great to be able to see her properly once again. It's like a new person. We make one final visit to Carmela at her apartment in the outer suburbs. Her long-term prognosis depends partly on finding the money for those macular edema injections, but even more critically on the strict management of her wayward blood sugar. I have to take more salads and vegetables, she says. No sugary things, no drinks with sugar. Now that she's had some of her sight returned to her, it's even clearer what she stands to lose. Her sight's far from perfect, but the improvement is still more than I expected, she says. I can see your face now. I can see my children. I was really happy to see my daughter's face. That was Out of the Darkness on the long read from Stuff, written and read by Adam Dudding and produced by me, Michael Wright. This episode was edited by Connor Scott. If you're listening via the Stuff website, you can hear this story and many more like it on the Long Read podcast, available on all the usual podcast apps. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star rating and a review. It helps other listeners find us. Thanks for listening. If you liked listening to this pod, help us make more like this. Visit stuff.co.nz support. Prepare for an unfiltered journey through the harsh realities of infertility. My name's Nadine Higgins. I'm a broadcaster, a journalist, and I've been trying to make a baby with my husband. That's me. I'm Dan. And we reckon infertility is lonely enough without making it a dirty little secret. In The Human Race with Dan and Nadine Higgins, we share raw and unvarnished stories of couples who have faced the brutal truth of infertility. Unless you've been in it, it's, it's really tough and really lonely. Yeah, and also, this is really weird, but baby showers, you don't need to open the presents in front of everyone. Confronting the harsh reality that not every story has a happy ending. This very blunt, abrasive doctor who I had, you know, had not seen before, who delivered the news, just like, you'll probably never have a natural period again and you'll probably never have a baby. The Human Race, where we share the untold stories of couples in the race of their lives to create a life. I feel like I nearly missed out and I got to do it. And so I feel really lucky. So it's been incredibly positive. Listen today at stuff.co.nz slash the human race or wherever you get your podcasts.
The Human Race is proudly brought to you by Elevate.